2: everyone. It's The Hash on Coindesk TV. It's wonderful to see you on this Wednesday. I'm Jensen Asi. We got Will Foxley, Wendy O, and David Morris here with us today for another jam-packed, action-filled half hour of crypto news. Now, I'm going to get us started off. Did you think we'd be talking about Michael Saylor in this last week of the year? I sure didn't. But MicroStrategy is still buying up Bitcoin The company purchased $42.8 million worth of Bitcoin between November 1st and December 21st, according to an SEC filing. And on the 22nd, the company sold $11.8 million worth of Bitcoin to offset previous capital gains. The sale marks the first time that MicroStrategy has sold its Bitcoin since they began buying it in 2020. Will, I am going to pass this off to you. What do you make of this? MicroStrategy is just still going strong with their Bitcoin thesis.
1: This headline is all wrong. We should have a completely different headline. That is that they sold Bitcoin, (laughs) not bought it. Just kidding, of course. This is big news that they're still buying Bitcoin. We love to see that. They did sell some Bitcoin. does seem to be for the tax harvesting aspect of that. And for those who are unfamiliar with it, in cryptocurrency and a few other assets, you do have the ability to sell your crypto and to sell into losses. And then take a tax benefit for selling it. With securities and stocks and all that stuff, there is a 30 day wash rule and there's some other components around it that you have to make sure that you follow. Uh, And so you don't really get the benefit that you do with crypto. So for a lot of people in November and December, you see a lot of sells. You see a lot of people unloading their digital assets at the end of the year in order to benefit from a loss on uh, your digital assets and roll that into taxes for the next year, which is a great benefit of being in crypto. We'll see if that continues going to the future with IRS rules. But for right now, why not take advantage of it? They still are buying Bitcoin, though. I think that's important to note that Michael Saylor, even though he stepped out as CEO and is now overseeing a micro in a different way, is still Bitcoin bull. They're still going to be purchasing Bitcoin. This is not a huge purchase compared to some of them in the past. And they're still actually pretty underwater on their overall purchases based on Bitcoin's price right now. But they still seem to have dry ammo and are willing to put more money into Bitcoin, even though we are in a down cycle right now. David, I'm actually curious for your take on this, however, so I'm going to boot it over to you.
3: Yeah, uh, Sailor is a, is a complicated figure. MicroStrategy is a tricky one to talk about. I mean, I, I personally, um, you know, I think that being essentially fairly leveraged on any one asset is pretty risky, um, and it's great that they still have cash to, to do this with. It does lower their cost basis and, and sort of sets them up better for the long term that they're able to buy in at this low point in the market. Um, but I, I, I do think that as an investor, um, it's still pretty dicey to um, bet on microstrategy as a essentially a proxy for BTC uh, rather than just buying the Bitcoin itself. Um, and, and there are sort of added risks and layers to that. Um, and I also think that, um, you know, by my lights, sailor sometimes – Veers from being merely a bull and a maximalist to something a little bit more culty and religious. He sort of notoriously encouraged people to mortgage their houses, to buy Bitcoin near the top of the market. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm of two minds. Uh, I, I am personally long Bitcoin, but um, it's, a, it's a questionable approach to do this through a corporate shell. Um, so I have mixed feelings about them continuing the strategy.
2: I thought at this point we would probably be hearing a little bit more about MicroStrategy's actual business instead of them continuing to buy up Bitcoin David, but, but here we are. Wendy, what do you think? Why
0: would we talk about what MicroStrategy actually does? It is a great, it, it, it's a really great marketing tool if you think about it. You buy this, this intangible digital asset, you use it for tax benefits, you get... Headlines you get in mainstream media news. So I think it's a great strategy. Micro strategy. Ha ha ha. I could have played that mm-hmm. better on words, but I didn't. I do want I to know what their liquidation plan. price is because I do believe they did take out collateralized mm-hmm. Bitcoin loans, which I do think is very problematic, especially in the cycle, which is why we haven't seen a lot of the miners capitulate yet. I do think that's coming. Um, but again, it's just rich people gonna rich people and take advantage of tax loopholes. And I'm here for it. And I think everybody should consider doing that. Talk to your local CPA. That's licensed and regulated to help you pay
2: your taxes um, a lot less. Pay your taxes. Just talk to someone who knows what they're doing. <laughs> yes, don't don't do
0: not do not um, listen to some random YouTuber or listen to a thread on Twitter. Please talk to somebody who knows what they're doing because I will. I do. You guys remember reading about this? I think there was some other news that came out that the IRS is going to not enforce cryptocurrency. Um, you still have to pay your taxes, but they changed the way that they're going to do it. But it's not going; to, the change isn't going to occur for another year because they weren't able to figure it out. I don't have the article in front of me. I should have had that, but I didn't know this oh. was going to go down a tax loophole.
1: <laughs> a tax little little journey to here. Yeah, there was a little news about that back in November, uh, which was based on like the gap standards for tax accounting, and it was important for any company that's holding digital assets, uh, just how they like configure those taxes at the end a year. But I don't think it mattered a lot for like individual holders. But regardless, let's move over to David and talk next about some market manipulation on DeFi markets.
3: Yes, uh, I will say one last thing about the the tax harvesting thing, which is uh, we are obviously approaching the end of the year, and for everybody who's harvesting losses on taxes through crypto, they're selling. So we might see, if we haven't already, a little bit of tax driven dip that will reverse in the new year. So if you've got free cash, worth considering. But the uh, the. Story that I am going to discuss in more depth is Abraham Eisenberg, who confessed on Twitter a few months ago to engaging in uh, what now appears to have been criminal market manipulation, was arrested in Puerto Rico. Now, I'm relying mostly on our summary here, but the substance of the manipulation appears to have been essentially wash trading with himself. Um, He bid up an asset on this Mango Markets decentralized marketplace, use that bid up, falsely bid up price as collateral for loans, uh, and then use that to drain a, a DeFi liquidity pool. Um, he is now under arrest. And there are tons of interesting precedent here. Um, the, the one that I think stands out to me is that even though these deregulated or decentralized marketplaces are not formally regulated, um, perhaps by any U.S. entity, the things that you do on them can still be targeted if they are deemed criminal under existing uh, standards. And, and wash trading and manipulating prices falsely is uh, criminal and, and certainly subject to civil penalties, too. Um, so, so, you know, just because it's a DEX doesn't mean you can do whatever you want. The other thing to consider here, uh, I think, is the longstanding assertion from certain corners of the crypto space and arguably a foundation foundational principle of the crypto space is that code is law. Um, and here, Abraham Eisenberg was using the code that existed on the DEX, um, but apparently that doesn't mean it was legal. So uh, let's go to uh, Will first with, with your thoughts on DEXs and market manipulation and, uh, and mangoes.
1: Yeah, certainly. And I love the summary there. It's definitely an interesting case in terms of DeFi precedents because it seems to be like one of the first cases where the U.S. government is stepping in and arresting someone for market manipulation on top of a DeFi market. DeFi markets—you would think of it as not having any jurisdiction, right? Because it's decentralized, so it can operate anywhere. You can just, you know, add an asset, trade on top of it, take a loan out anywhere in the globe. But the U.S. government seems to think that they definitely have an interest in this case. They made an arrest in Puerto Rico based on the information that was out there about this case, which was freely available. After Avi Eisenberg executed this trade, he actually published a blog post about it and some tweets. Uh, he was condemned pretty heavily by a lot of people out there for uh, exploiting mango markets in this way. This is a pretty fairly known exploitation. And a lot of people would rather have uh, this be uh, set said like a white hack, like that you're, you're telling the team about this before you exploit it. But that's not what occurred. In fact, they chose to exploit it and then hand some of the funds back to Mango Markets, mm. which Mango Markets then handed back to its own traders to compensate them partially. But this did not win Avi Eisenberg any fans on crypto Twitter at all. Uh, in, in fact, like, basically, people are cheering on that he has been arrested at this point, which is a pretty interesting take from a lot of people who don't like the government. right? So I do think this is a, something that's going to be uh, watched pretty heavily for people who are involved with the DeFi markets because it does set a precedent. You can be anywhere in the globe and you can manipulate a DeFi market, but the US government seems to have an interest in you. So that's definitely something to watch going forward. But Wendy, you're a trader. Let's get your take on this story.
0: So I don't trade on mango markets, but I thought the whole entire thing was pretty interesting. You have this guy that is extremely tech smart, which is outstanding. And we do need white hats to come in and kind of test these protocols to see how they work. And I do know that a lot of cryptocurrencies in their communities, they have bounties set for people to come in and actually test if they find you know, any type of errors or problems, you know, report it to the team and you get a little bit of a bounty. With that being said, he came out so publicly and so strong, was like, this is what I did. It's not illegal. It's okay to do. And back to David's argument that code is law, it's going to be a very interesting legal battle if that's what his defense is going to be. The fact that he was able to go in and actively exploit this and say, you know, this is what I did because code is law. So I'm more curious to see what's going to, what the legal repercussions are going to be, and again, I do have to before I toss this over to Jen. I still think the United States of America made very a very very bad decision by not integrating some sort of cryptocurrency laws and regulations, so people kind of know what they can and can't do. Yes, what he did do according to some of the older laws, are was illegal. But at the same time, we're talking about a, bl- a brand new kind of ecosystem with crypto and with code. So because there's no laws and regulations that indicate that about cryptocurrency maybe he will be able to get off. Again, I'm not condoning his actions. Um, I don't like when people lose money, but at the same time, it is a very interesting argument. Jen?
2: Yeah, I think that um, the absence of crypto regulation kind of puts regulators in a position that they want to be in, where they can use laws that, that oversee traditional financial markets and apply them to crypto. It's like we, we say this on the show all the time. It's trying to fit a square peg in a round hole, right? But what's happened here very much looks like something that is illegal according to traditional financial regulation. And so I'm not surprised to see that regulators are going going after Eisenberg. I think that any DeFi product that has American customers or that has people who are unfortunately working on the code or working on the project who live on American soil and can be identified, we can expect American regulators Mm -hmm. to go after them. I don't like, I'm not saying that that's okay, but I think that that's just the logical thing to see ahead of us. Um, and when it comes to code of law, I think that eventually a long time from now, we will get there. But as long as we don't have true decentralization, I don't think regulators are going to to look at, at code as law the same way that we do in the same way that so many people mm. in this industry does. And so I do think that this is going to be a precedent setting case. I don't think it's going that we're going to see the precedents set that we want to see set out of this. But I, I still think it's a step in the right direction to understanding the vulnerabilities um, in decentralized finance and the vulnerabilities with our existing law. So that's my optimistic yeah. slash pessimistic view on this. I don't really think we're going to get anywhere.
3: <laughs> so uh, I think I am taking it from here. I have one last quick observation slash question for Will and or Wendy. Um, so if Eisenberg was wash trading and that was kind of key to his strategy here, is there any way to prevent that? Because you can just Sybil attack. You can just spin up another identity on any marketplace and wash trade with yourself as long as the day is long. Uh, like what's going to prevent that from a code perspective? Do either of you have thoughts?
0: Uh, I'm not the most tech savvy person, but I think that that's a very interesting argument is that you can just create another identity and keep um, doing the same things over and over again. So I don't know how they're going to be able to deal with that. I don't know if there's any way that smart contracts can kind of prevent this from happening um, unless you're tracking somebody's IP. But then again, you have VPNs and all these other ways to go about it. Um, but at the same time, I think it's important to know there's bad people in every single industry and there's also bad actors. So if somebody's going to do something bad, it doesn't mean that only bad things happen in cryptos. Um, behavior like this can be applied to any other industry. Will?
1: Yeah, the short answer to this is oracles. You need, need a better tech stack in order to get better pricing on top of these DeFi marketplaces. As great as DeFi is, it still has a lot of problems and you need better price information in order for the markets to operate efficiently. What we saw here really was the case of Avi being able to sell two assets between himself and himself. And at one point he's selling it for price A and then selling it and accepting it for price B. And the difference between those prices enabled him to take a loan out and then cash out that loan and basically default on the loan to himself and end up with a mm-hmm. whole bunch of money. And this has happened in many DeFi primitives over the years. But the way that it's answered time and time again is an exploitation and then follow-up with better Oracle solutions. So things like Chainlink can help and then things like Uniswap v 3 where you can just look at the pricing oracles on top of an open DeFi market that has a lot of liquidity, that can solve a lot of these lending book problems. But of course, it comes back to exploitation. You have to know about the problem beforehand. Otherwise, it's not going to be fixed. But David, I'll boot it up to you though. We got a cool podcast Mm -hmm. series coming from you. Tell us about that before we head into the break.
3: Yeah, rolling into our break, a really quick plug for a podcast that I am the narrator, creator, and writer of called Crypto Crooks. And we are going to be doing multiple seasons of this, doing pretty deep dives, but in an approachable format of various uh, scams and uh, other malfeasance in the crypto space over the years. We're starting with a classic, the 2018 scam BitConnect. Uh, which some of you will remember and some of you will not, but that is regardless of how aware you are of it is a amazing story. There's kidnappings, there's disappearances, there's suicides. There's all kinds of crime wrapped up in this one crime, including alleged government corruption. And uh, it goes maybe all the way to the top. So coming January 10th, Crypto Crooks, put it in your podcast tractor. So it pops up as soon as it's out. uh, And I think, uh, I don't know exactly how to transition us to the break, so if Jen has to say I'll anything take it else, away, We're on our David. way. Hey, hey, hey. Well,
2: that that's like true crime for crypto. I love it, I cannot wait. I will have it teed up. David, okay, so we're gonna take a quick break right now. When we come back, which NFT project is closing the year out stronger than we would have predicted at this time last year? Stick around <laughs> to find out, we'll see you in a bit.
0: Times are tough, particularly for crypto. But Bitstamp's different. Bitstamp is the longest-running crypto exchange and among the most regulated in the world, which includes a bit license in New York and a payment institution license in Europe. And when it comes to your funds, with Bitstamp, your crypto belongs to you. All your fiat and crypto are kept 100% separated. It's why CryptoCompare ranked Bitstamp the number one crypto exchange, awarding them the highest possible AA rating. Learn more at bitstamp.net.
1: Will Foxley here, co-host of The Hash. One thing we can take away from everything going on in crypto right now is that it's important to go deep and verify. Crypto Twitter is great, but 280 characters can only go so far. One podcast we love is Galaxy Brains. Here's the host, Alex Thorne, head of research at Galaxy Digital. Thanks, Will. For in-depth takes and probing analysis
3: on topics, trends, and events across the Bitcoin and cryptocurrency ecosystem, check out Galaxy Brains, our weekly podcast.
1: Find Galaxy Brains on your favorite podcast app and on galaxy.com forward slash research. Presented to you by one of the most trusted teams in the industry. And welcome back to The Hash. Remember that Gemini Earn product that didn't do so well in early November? Well, we have more information about that. Gemini Earn was a pretty impressive product out there that people use to earn some interest on top of their digital assets, Had a decent amount of subscribers, including a lot of retail users. So can have that 7.5, 7.4% APR, but it went defunct and it has stopped paying out after the backend for it. Genesis Trading halted uh, withdrawals from its product itself. So we have like a lot of different products stacked on top of each other. Uh, all this stemming from the contagion of FTX, of course. Dave, I'm going to throw this one to you to untangle it and talk a little bit about the relationship with Genesis here, as that seems to be pretty
3: pertinent. Well, the, the relationship with Genesis is, is relatively simple. Um, basically, Gemini, and it gets confusing because the names sound so similar, but Gemini was bringing in retail deposits basically giving those over to Genesis, and Genesis was engaged in lending activities to, uh, to, to earn yield on that. Now, uh, Genesis, uh, we should note, is a uh, company owned by Digital Currency Group, which is also the parent company of Coindesk. Um, Genesis was more conservative, I believe, than uh, some other front ends that were using retail deposits to try and generate yield, such as Celsius, uh, which obviously is also now defunct. Um but unfortunately, uh, Genesis was hit by the defaults uh, in entities, including I believe they had uh, particularly a big loan to three hours capital. Uh, so this, as will said, it's contagion um, and uh, and Gemini customers unfortunately were were caught at kind of the the far reaches of that contagion. Um, my one my my one sort of meta comment here is that um, I think that we as an industry, got way ahead of ourselves with these retail yield products. Um, I think that there are still a lot of really fundamental questions about where yield comes from in crypto that is reliable. Obviously, you can generate some alpha from active trading, but that's also inherently high risk. Uh, and it's, it's still really unclear uh, exactly where and when uh, sustainable profits will accrue to, for example, chains like Ethereum. or or any other uh, alternative L1s in a way that would make sort of investing like this with consistent yields, a sustainable product. Um, So I think that we've learned some hard lessons here about yield in crypto and where it comes from and how how reliable
2: it is. Yeah, I think that this is not, yeah, I think this is not the last class action lawsuit that we're gonna see. I think retail investors, customers, see what's happening in the industry, maybe don't have all the information to make sense of how it happened. And you know, people want to hold someone accountable. And so this is definitely not the first one we've seen. I don't think it's the last one we're going to see. Uh, The lawsuit claims that Gemini didn't register their EARN program as assets as securities in accordance with securities law. I wonder if coming out of this bear market, we're going to see some kind of precedent set with centralized exchanges when it comes to what needs to be registered as a security or not registered as a security in in the U.S. and how that's looked at. I know Coinbase had to roll back their EARN program. I don't remember how long ago that was now because the months and years just all kind of meld together in this industry. But Coinbase had been working very closely with the SEC and then the SEC turned around and sued them based on their EARN program. And so I think that just tells us that the regulators are not clear on what's going on here. And it shows that maybe they don't actually have retail investors, customers, best interests at hand. And so maybe we'll see some precedent coming out of this, but I can totally understand why retail investors want some answers here. Wendy?
0: So I was a user or customer of Gemini Earn. I don't think I left anything there. But one thing I will say about um, Gemini and the Earn plat- program that they had, they were very, very clear on how it worked. They said, this is a separate entity from us. There was like little pop-ups that would come up. So it was a little bit different than using like Crypto.com or Voyager or Coinbase or any of the other platforms that... And Well, Crypto.com didn't go down, but any of the other platforms, like they were very, 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 very specific. But again, this goes back to regulators. Regulators are coming out calling things unregistered securities after the fact that something was launched. Gemini is very, very heavily regulated, especially coming out of New York. If you're licensed and regulated in the crypto industry and you're coming out of New York, you have to go through a lot of different procedures to be able to operate. So it's very sad that people's funds are still tied up. Um, the good thing is, is that I don't believe digital currency group has filed for bankruptcy and they are looking um, for a solution. So or excuse me, Genesis. Um, So they are still looking for a solution and hopefully that all pans out properly.
1: Yeah, definitely something to be paying attention to due to the class action lawsuit and the implications here with that. But I echo what Jen said. I think there's going to be more of that. Let's turn to our last story of the day though, which is a little bit more exciting. Let's talk about some penguins.
0: I'm so excited about this story because I love NFTs and I do enjoy trading them. Even though I don't own any pudgy penguins, I missed out for the second time because I missed out in 2021. But Pudgy Penguins NFTs break all-time highs with Holiday Rally. And also a project I am invested in, a sappy seal started pumping as well. The reason why I'm excited about that project is because my six-year-old daughter picked out a little seal for, her <laughs> for herself. But the Penguins, they flew past ape Yacht Club and other blue chips in the last 24 hours. And I believe the floor is currently at 6.4 Ethereum. And the reason behind this rally is the community voted out the founders after alleged failed to deliver on staked goals and drained the fund of treasury The project is now under new ownership nets bought the rights to pudgy penguins for 2.5 million and promises to build the brand. I am all for rebranding and getting rid of people who aren't doing the right thing. So I'm very excited about this project, even though I don't own a little penguin. Jen, would you like to take this? I know that you love NFTs. I don't want to give it over to Will because I don't want to hear his <laughs> pessimistic.
2: He's just gonna hate on it. Yeah, let's just like keep ping-oos. talking until the show is over. And, we're well, just gonna ignore. Sure, Will has well, always been very vocal about his love for <laughs> penguins. I'm gonna say I was upset reading this because I never bought a pudgy penguin and I was going to. I know, right, Wendy? So I'm with you there. I mean, if you look at all the ups and downs that this project has had over the years with the original owners allegedly taking off with the funds and then this like hero coming in to rescue the project for 750 ETH. And then the last time we spoke about pudgy penguins, we're talking about IP, right? The project really wants to take these penguins away from this like web three digital world where we're looking at these like 2D images that you can see scrolling on the screen there. And they want to create this like lifestyle, this brand. and. Last time we spoke about this, I compared it to Disney, which is maybe a little bit far of a jump. But I really do think that some of these NFT projects are really going to be able to leverage their IP, create toys, create a lifestyle, create something that can exist in the physical world. Um, and maybe Pudgy Penguins is going to be able to do that. Will?
1: If anyone's going to do it, it's going to be the penguins. And I like the penguins, <laughs> for the record, Wendy and Jen, I'm a fan of these Pudgy little boys. I think there's a few <laughs> things that are bridging the gap between Web3 and mainstream. And that'd be some of these NBA or NFL NFTs. I think if they can recover from what's happened with FTX and a few other of the defunct sports branding tokens out there, I think that can be like a real gateway for a lot of NFT products because it has some sort of physical aspect tied to it, like a, a real tangible benefit from interacting with an NFT. And I think these Penguins are also a good indicator of that. Just as you mentioned there, Jen, the new founder or the the founders washed out. They took a lot of the treasury and left. They spent it on, Uh, bad ideas. A new team came in, they purchased the product, purchased the IP, and they've been using that to add some real-world implementation selling t-shirts, selling hoodies, selling stuffed animals, those sort of things. And if you're able to bridge the gap with this thing, then it looks a lot like what Walt Disney did back in the 1930s with Singboat Willie. If we can do that with Web3, then some of these NFT products, I think, are going to have some legs. I really don't like the model of trading NFTs back and forth with royalties. I think that's going to just trade a lot of these products right into the ground. I like the idea of using NFTs with some value, maybe for marketing purposes or other ideas. But I will say the Bayak or the, the Basie ideas with uh, what happened in, with m and and Snoop Dogg was, was not my favorite. But there are some other cool ideas out there. David, I'll throw it up to you.
3: Actually, I think we're, we're wrapping up. I will make one last comment, which is I think NFTs are going to help us keep this crypto winter shorter than it would have been otherwise. So go NFTs. Jen, anything else before we go?
2: Go NFTs. No, thank you for watching us on Coindesk TV. Thank you for listening on the Coindesk Podcast Network. I'm Jensen Essie, Will Foxley, Wendy O, David Morris. Always wonderful spending an afternoon with you. See you all again tomorrow. Bye.
0: You've been listening to The Hash on the Coindesk Podcast Network.